You're listening to Free Your Inner Guru, a podcast for big-hearted leaders making a meaningful impact in the world. We dive deep into conversations about conscious leadership, choosing a life of personal growth, spirituality, and the self-help industry so you can connect to your inner wisdom and become the leader you want to see in the world. To engage with the Free Your Inner Guru community online, you can find me, your host, Laura Tucker, and the podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can also become a supporting patron or an active member of our private online Free Your Inner Guru leadership community at patreon.com forward slash Free Your Inner Guru. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Our guest this week is Nafisa Shireen. Nafisa is an income growth mentor and coach, the owner of Believe in Sea Ranch, and the host of Living Forward TV on YouTube. I contacted Nafisa to pick her brain about why the province of British Columbia in Canada has had a less dramatic experience of the COVID-19 pandemic compared to Ontario, where I live, and Quebec, which borders on us here in the East. And uh, much of the United States on the eastern seaboard and the west coast. But everything is moving so quickly these days. So I believe it's relevant to share as context um, when our conversation happened. We recorded on May the 7th of 2020, back when all anyone had on their minds was the pandemic and the effects on our families and health and the economy. Um since then, the landscape of society has shifted dramatically. Nafisa shared a post on June 5th on Facebook with her response to George Floyd's death and subsequent events. Since its contents are relevant to every part of this conversation that I'm about to share with you, I asked her permission and we'll read it after we say goodbye because I think it really rounds out um, and makes it even more current. So what I'm going to ask you to do as the listener is to pay attention to the um, issues that came up that are relevant to the conversation about uh, racism and anti-racism, even before it, it surpassed and almost eclipsed the pandemic. Now, this interview, I will go on the record as saying that this is probably the longest episode on Free Your Inner Guru, to which Nafisa keeps saying sorry about. There's nothing to be apologizing for. This is a wide-ranging conversation. We cover a lot of ground. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you find it too much uh, in terms of length, is just break it up into chunks and uh, take in the whole thing. But we talk about the, um, well, really every single theme of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast is addressed here. Personal growth, spirituality. There's a huge segment that is so educational as far as, um, horses. Nafisa is very passionate about horses and equine therapy. Um, I learned so much and I just found it fascinating. So we did a deep dive there, and then we move on to talk about the self-help industry, coaching's position in the self-help industry, um, politics, leadership. And so, yes, it is uh, it is quite a lengthy episode, but I hope you're going to find it a wonderful investment of your time. So on that note, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Nafisa Shireen. 
Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, Nafisa. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been, I know we've been planning this, planning this for a long time, so I'm glad to finally be able to do this. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's start by, um, I, I would love the listener to meet you as if for the first time. Um, tell us a little bit about your um, your your coaching practice, your your horses, um, sure. how it all comes together. It's, it's fascinating. Sure, absolutely. Well, as you know, as we talked a little bit off camera before we started, I'm in a little bit of transition, but primarily I work, you know, I've been working with entrepreneurs for years to help them build their businesses and multiply their income. I, you know, I refer to myself as their income growth mentor. Um, but, you know, the income that we make in our business is usually just a reflection of everything that we believe about ourselves and what's possible. And so, um, you know, my background in corporate, which I know we, we may or may not get into was very, very business driven, very left brain. And, um, when I started my business and I started getting into all those tactics it, I found it, it didn't matter how much people knew what to do. They didn't necessarily always do it. So I became fascinated with what went on between their ears, right? And so as I started to expand that, I started to learn other modalities about subconscious belief change psychology. And I've been a horsewoman for quite a long time and working with horses myself, just seeing the transformation in me and how they um, really needed me to show up to be a leader, which was totally not necessarily related to my business, but a lot of the lessons could apply in my business. Um, I'd never actually bridged the two, but a lot of my own vulnerabilities came out when I started to work with horses. Then I started to learn about this field of equine-assisted learning, equine-assisted psychotherapy. I don't do the psychotherapy, obviously, but I mean, it goes that deep, but the learning, the coaching, um, and, and horses teacher. And so I learned through life and through training how horses also help you tap into that deep um, subconscious parts of you, their energetic beings. And so I morphed that with my business coaching practice to create something somewhat unique um, where I've worked with entrepreneurs to really help them get clear, get aligned, um, build confidence. And so a good portion of my business is online. And then um, we last year introduced horses and, and retreats and private retreats to to the to the coaching, which has been really popular and successful for the, for my clients too. That's, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, so let's weave our way into it um, yeah. because I'm always fascinated by what people like yourself did in their before life, like before mm -hmm. you had your own business. And so you, you mentioned you were, um, you were in the private sector. So what type of role did you have there? Was it a leadership role? Yes, I worked in mining, um, gold mining and copper mining. Um, they're the CPA association now, but when I had my education, it was CGA in Canada. So I did my 10 years of school to get my accounting designation. And I never really liked uh, accounting. Like it just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fine details kind of person. I'm a big picture person. And I, the part I enjoyed most about all the jobs that I had was working with people and mentoring people. So that kind of was just always, you know, when you look back and connect the dots, it was always there, but I didn't know how to do that in the business world because I was taught, you know, you, you get a education, you go, you get a job, you go work. And so this was very tangible. It was a skill that I knew everybody needed somebody to count their money. So I became an accountant, but I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and so when I had my first opportunity to go work in something a little bit more operational, it still required um, 
understanding business fundamentals and money fundamentals, but not necessarily like your debits and credit fundamentals. So I was working in um, in construction. And so project accounting was a lot more fun for me because it wasn't about all these crazy rules. It was about really tracking um, your construction build and how it was going and you were creating and building something. And so I worked at... Um, for a couple of years here in Vancouver, there was a huge tourist attraction that went up. It was called Storium. Um, it's not here anymore, but it was a massive $20 million project. And so that was my first exposure really to working on project accounting and creating something really creative because it was a theater production. And so that was really fun. And so I didn't want to go back to doing like, you know, boring financial statements or Mm. any of that kind of stuff or auditing or taxation. So when I left that um, business and I went into mining, um, it was really fun because I got to work on, again, it was a different type of creation, but I went to work for exploration companies where they were just doing the, the feasibility analysis on these projects and on these mineral deposits and working with First Nations communities um, up in Alaska. They're called Native Corporations. So there's, I mean, that's how they prefer to be called. That's not <laughs> like if I would call them First Nations up there, they'd be like, no, we're Native Corporations. So I'd have to watch my language depending where I was, right? Um, so but working with them to help them um, learn self-sufficiency skills and start their own businesses and, and work with them to give them high-paying jobs and train them. So that became really fun for me and building these projects. And so I had a really unique role where it still involved money because we still had to account for um, it, you know shareholders' money and, and the, the project money. But it was just about, like, it was about what do we spend on a helicopter this week, not what like our financial statements were. So I was in that industry and I loved it. It was so much fun. There was something about going out to these mine sites and playing in the mud and going to camp. I mean, I, I wasn't a camp employee. I would I worked up in Alaska, but I had an apartment. Um, I was in Nome for a year. I don't know if people know where Nome, Alaska is, but it's- I don't. It's, Where's that? It's just below the Arctic Circle. You can only get there by plane or barge and the barge only, and you don't travel there by barge. That's how goods get in. So they have a barging season. Yeah. That um, that comes up like I think it's like a three month window because the barges can't get up there after that and everything else then is flown in like through the winter like groceries and stuff and people would leave their cars running with keys in them in the winter to keep them warm because where were people going to steal them there weren't roads to to go anywhere right so it was pretty far north um, and you know we used to eat so much king crab up there because that was cheaper than meat, like than ground beef, because you could just, people go drop their crab pots and bring them in. Um, It was quite a unique experience. And I had an apartment up there. And then um, I ended up working in Anchorage on a different project, but I would go out to the campsites from time to time and spend a few days at at these remote campsites and sleep in tents in the middle of winter um, in Alaska. So it was, it was fun, right? I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed a lot of the the work we did. I think one of the the funnest projects I had was sitting on, I think it was called the Best in the West. And it was having all of these um, people from the local villages encouraging entrepreneurism. And so there was a purse they could win and they had to come. It was kind of like a dra- dragon's den where they'd come to you with their pitch and their, their business idea. And you know, if it was viable, they could have, you know, you would award a portion of, of the purse to these, these businesses. So that was really cool to be working in businesses that were helping the community um, that really got into making sure that the people that we would be relying on, the people whose land we'd be working on, had access to the jobs, had access to training, had access to, um, you know, lots of opportunity in different ways, whether it was directly 
you know, working for us or working for a company that would support it or doing something like this competition of, of these entrepreneurs. And so I, I loved it. And then when that ended, I went and worked uh, still in mining. I worked, I can't remember which way I did it. One, I went to the Yukon uh, for a couple of years and I also worked in Arizona. I preferred the weather in Arizona. to all of them so and that was in in copper mining and I was in Arizona for just for not too long just under a year but um but my home base was always Vancouver but I would travel to these places and it was all the same thing it was all project development and community development and community engagement so I really enjoyed it you're reminding me of the first, when we first met back in 2017 and we uh, we had a chance to follow. We were, it was a busy time and we mm-hmm. followed up afterwards and we're yeah. trading our stories of our of our career paths, yeah. which are very different from each other's. Um, definitely some common themes, mm-hmm. but um, I started adding up all the years in my head and I remember thinking, oh yeah, and I, we may have talked about it like, you're not to make it about the superficial, but you're, uh, I call people like you a uh, look younger, like you look younger. Than <laughs> yes. I'm turning 50 I'm, this year. <laughs> right. So right. Yes. And I'm, and I'm, I'm three years older than you. So I find another that, look younger. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a whole conversation about, uh, there that we can just defer to another time maybe, but it's about Oh man, I'm still I'm 53 and I'm still having to take people through my CV so they get an idea that I have actual valuable experience that they, before what they see online, let's say, because the internet wasn't even really a thing when I was doing a bunch of this stuff. No, and you know, even when I was in corporate, it was uh, it was a an obstacle. I remember I was uh, talking to when I before because I got assigned up to these projects, but I remember it when I was. Um, I, still working in the corporate office, I went to, to talk to our, our chief operating officer about something. And I don't know what I said. And you know, he always treated me very respectfully. And I, because of my position and my title, I was manager of operational accounting for, for the corporation. Um, and I went and I said something to him and I can't remember what exactly I said. And I, it was, and I think I was like 37 or 38 at the time. And he goes, how old are you? And I said, I'm 37, 38, whatever it was. He goes, Oh my God. He goes, I thought you were like 22. Yeah. And, and how he treated me from that day forward changed, right? So it's not always a good thing. <laughs> no. In fact, it almost rarely, in the professional setting, Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on what the goals are and what the, what the experience. If, it's a, if you're speaking, say, at a health and wellness fair about self-care, yeah. then it's a total advantage. If yeah. you are in a room full of executives particularly, you know, both. And and you know what, let's, I was going to say men, but I think women can be the harshest critics as well. Going, oh yeah, what does she know? What, what does she, what is she talking about? Yeah. And I used to always just get so, um, every time in the automotive industry that I would start another client and go through that whole proving cycle, I'd be like, oh my God, this yeah. is exhausting. Now that I'm turning 50, I don't mind looking, you know, 38 or 40, but it was, it was a career detriment because the initial thought was that I was 10 or 15 years younger than I was. And that did not help. Like people thought I needed experience that already had. And I remember even when I first started in my coaching practice, I remember being at an event with my coach at the time. And, um, somebody there said to me, cause we'd, we'd been in this program for a year or something. And this was back in 2013, maybe she goes, I just have to apologize to you. I just thought you were just some young ditzy girl, all pretty, but you're really smart and you have a lot of background and substance. 
like, what? I, just, I can't. Thank you. Thank you. Right. But I, you know, so I, like, it is kind of funny, but I, it's one of those things now where I'm like, okay, look, I actually have gray hair. So that's. <laughs> yeah. I've earned, and I've earned it. Yeah. Um, so, so what, 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 and when, and how did you transition from, the sort of private sector corporate life into at that time you would have described it yourself as a, a business coach or a business consultant. So well, actually, that I didn't. I didn't go directly into being a business consultant. I took a trip. I took a little detour into being a health coach because <laughs> um, I was pretty jaded with the, the corporate world. I had done. I had done really, really well. You know, um, it's one of those things. It's funny because people. I remember the time that my picture was on the front cover of our annual report um, for one of the companies I worked for. And I thought it was really cool. And our investor relations person said, yeah, we have our token brown girl on there. And I was like, what? (laughs) Because I never saw myself as a minority, but apparently a lot of people did. But I mean, I, I feel like I created what I did because I just never saw myself as a woman, as an ethnic minority or religious minority. Like I never saw that. I just saw myself as a person who was contributing and I just worked really hard. Um, So, but if I were to actually take a step back and look at it and go, you know, I actually did really well. I mean, I eventually made it to a VP level in a total man's world as a minority. And that was, it was pretty cool. Right. And I, by time I was 40, I had, I had made a million dollars in one year. Like I just did really well and paid off my house and and I had a great corporate career and I worked with people who really respected me and um, treated me really well. We had a, the company I worked for was a small junior exploration company and we were in a joint venture with a major, major company. And that major company treated me like I was one of their executives. So, you know, it's really easy when you're in a small company to be like part of the senior management because like it's small, right? And you get noticed even if you're just not that high up or whatever, because there's only maybe 20 or 30 people, but in a company that has thousands and thousands of employees, when um, you stand out and you get noticed by their senior C-suite, that's something. But that's only because I was on this particular project that had visibility. So, you know, it, it was a really cool job, but things changed as they always do. There were different management structure changes, different um, things that happened. And this was during like the 2008 downturn um, when the company I was in ran into trouble raising money because they, they were not a, a income positive, a cash flow positive company mm-hmm. yet. So at the, so the way those companies live and make money as they raise money on the capital markets. So who was investing in companies in 2008? So nobody, but they needed cash. So they ended up getting some investors. But of course, when, when people come in as big investors, they suddenly want to start taking over. So it took a couple of years, but then there was a lot of changes at the top level from these new investors that had come in. So um, things changed. And a lot of the people that I worked with uh, were, were, what's the word, like pushed out, <laughs> asked yes. to leave. And um, I was still, I still had a job or the way I say it is I, I, I kept my employment, but I lost my job. And so it's, it's one thing when you, you don't like what you're doing and you're getting on a commuter bus or a commuter train every day and going downtown or something, right? But I was going to a different country and I hated it. And I remember the the 
the new leader that came in, who is now my new boss, you know, he didn't give me the same respect. Um, there was a lot of baggage between him and the fellow that I used to report to. And that, because him and I had a really good working relationship, that baggage translated over. So it was just really uncomfortable. And I remember I was in my kitchen at home in Vancouver. Uh, my husband and I had gone out and gone out for donairs. We were eating takeout. And I got this email that was so horrific and rude and condescending and just not like it just I felt ugh. and I remember sitting there looking at this and going what right and I took my donair and flung it across the kitchen like just and it exploded everywhere <laughs> and uh and there I was standing in the middle of an exploded donair all over my kitchen floor my husband's like I think you're done I'm like yeah I think you're right and I just it was Blackberry I didn't have an iPhone then I just Blackberry I quit <laughs> It was a really good career. I was making so much money and I quit in the middle of a donair that I threw. So, um, but I still dabbled in, in the mining industry. I ended up taking contracts in the Yukon, the contract down in Arizona. But during that time, I was creating a different way. Like I had worked with a coach for, for quite a while, an executive coach when I was at this other role, which was what helped me get to the level that I did. She helped me become the person that I needed to be to be in that role. And so I continued to work with her, but I was so convinced of the power of coaching because of what I experienced, right? Going from, you know, a $50,000 a year job to in one year making just under seven figures, right? Because of who I became. And I became that through the coaching. So I knew that this was a really powerful work. But at the time I had done a huge, uh, personal transformation. I'd lost a lot of weight. I'd won a couple of uh, figure competitive competitions. And so I thought I was going to be a health coach because I wanted nothing more to do with business. That whole, that whole thing left mm -hmm. me with a bad taste in my mouth. And um, I didn't do very well as a health coach. <laughs> well, so interesting. I had no, I, I didn't know that about you. And I also think there's something really, um, uh, the word that's coming is basic and not in terms of like to undermine it, but like base, like at the base of the journey of rejecting what, what you ultimately are meant to be doing or something like that. There's kind of this, um, this stage to go through where, it's, where we come back to it from a different point of from view. Did that happen point. with you? Like after you had a, a little bit, out? yeah. Um, I mean, I, I found that I enjoyed the, the health piece for myself, not for coaching people on it. Um, but I really liked, I really liked working with business, but again, that's kind of how I went into, um, into it as like a business consultant. You know, I still had my CGA at the time. I was labeling myself the profitability expert, but I still didn't get the results for myself and my clients that I do have now. I mean, partly I had to learn how to be a, an entrepreneur and having worked in mining and being behind the scenes and a company that brings money in through raising it in the markets, I didn't know how to sell, <laughs> right? So I never learned how to sell. So that was a really big thing. Um, so I I didn't really enjoy that aspect of, of the coaching. And, and I started to learn more about mindset and um, universal law and really 
your subconscious mind, how it affects you. And so I started to get really interested in like why people do what they do or why they don't do what they do. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I started taking like, you know, deeper courses like NLPs, um, uh, a a modality. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's called Psych K where you learn how to do um, subconscious transformation to help people become what we call whole brained to ideas and to get into more productive states. So it started a journey. And so for me, um, you know, I used to pride myself on my Microsoft Excel skills. Like I could do pivot tables and the most complicated formulas ever. And now I have no idea how to even work it. <laughs> I like to work with the people and that became more interesting to me. And I realized with entrepreneurs, just like me, people start a business because they have their passion, because they have a purpose, because they want to do something more than go sit chained behind a desk. They want to have meaning in their lives. And so that became a lot more valuable to me as a contribution to make is how do you help people get there? Because it, you know, the marketing is like, oh, do you have a six-figure business? Do you have a seven-figure business? Like whatever all that is, but yeah. that doesn't mean anything. It's like, do you have the life you want and and are you contributing the way you want? And are you making the money that that contribution and life that you want requires? Let's help you get there. And that became more fun. So it's kind of, so it was kind of like a long journey, right? Like I, I threw that donair. Um, it was April 9th, 2011 that I flung it across the room. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think it is that with the marketing for the coaching, like you just mm-hmm. said, it's a, it's like six figures, this seven figures that when at the core, well, the, the core of my idea of coaching is about personal growth and transformation. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure not too long ago in this conversation, you, you said something very, very important, which is, it's not really about the money. It's about, it's about, you know, what's going on inside that helps you that helps you or or keeps you from going after or achieving or or just even thinking that you're you know good enough worthy enough lovable enough to to create these things for yourself so if that's where the value is and that's been the value of your journey Mm -hmm. it's been the value and the challenge of my journey yeah um why do you think that all of the marketing or what seems to work or what it see, at least in my experience has been like, in order to grow that coaching practice, you almost have to go down that route to be able to get the mind share. Um, I, I'm going to take a step back and look at it, not from being like a coach with a business, but somebody who would be hiring a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know what those numbers meant. All I knew is I wanted to make enough money to continue the lifestyle that I had. Right. And that's all I knew. And I had myself, I mean, I had so much business experience and yet I fell flat on my face as an entrepreneur. So clearly um, business experience and entrepreneurial knowledge are two very different things. Right? They don't, it doesn't help you. Um, so for me, I wanted to see that. And so when I saw people that I would hire as mentors could help people get the results I was looking for, I went for it. And I think people just, it's tangible because coaching isn't tangible. And I liken it to, um, there was a few years ago, I did a fitness program uh, that I participated in called Fit in 42. And it was like 
42 day program. You'd be fit in 42 days. And I thought to myself, that's pretty good marketing because if they'd actually marketed it as you're going to get up at four, you're going to be here at 4.45 a.m. We're going to completely change the way you eat here on in and afterwards. We're going to work you really hard. You're going to go deep. You're going to face all your demons. You're going to cry. You're going to scream. Like nobody would sign up. So they, <laughs> right. Yeah. But fit in 42 makes sense. Right. Really easy. Yeah. So I, I think it's the same with, with the, the marketing is like people just think this number means success or it means something to them. And, and, um, I don't like to use the word lucky because uh, I don't believe in luck. I believe you make your own. Um, but me, I was always very determined and scrappy. And, you know, if people would tell me no or you're not qualified, I'd be like, I might not be qualified, but I'm qualified to get qualified. Like this was just how I viewed myself. So getting to a point where I was making multi six figures as, as a woman was through a lot of work and I surpassed a lot of people that, that I worked with in corporate. And I, I think that there's just this perception, you know, like $50,000 or $60,000 is kind of very, a very common salary. Mm-hmm. So when people think of six figures, it just seems like this big magic number without realizing, you know, but I mean, it could cost you six figures to make six figures if you're not careful. Right. So um, I I just think there's some mystery to it because a lot of people maybe haven't done it. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. And it's very tangible. It is. It's, it's measurable and it's tangible, but it's also, it's also just an approach or, I mean, maybe I, (laughs) it's interesting. Maybe I either just need to get over it or, just realize like I, I was sharing with you before the call come at it differently as far yeah. as, you know, if that's, if that's what it takes to be um, successful in a, and I'm talking about the marketing of, of, of yeah. the coach and of mm-hmm. the, the self-help program, if that's what it takes to be successful, either suck it up and become it or find another way with where I don't have to, compromise core values to, to achieve it. Cause I don't, I don't think you should ever compromise I don't core believe, values though. Right. Exactly. exactly. You know, I, I will use the, the income-based marketing. Um, if my clients put that in their testimonials, because that obviously was important to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big deal. Um, as I've morphed more into the equine work, um, there's some pretty cool results and the, the experience is also a really big thing too. Mm. You know, obviously right now, I don't know when people will be listening to this, we're right in the middle of the COVID lockdown. So there, there is no equine work happening here, um, but it will come back. And, um, and it's been a different approach because when we talk about coaching, it's like, don't, don't sell process, sell results, don't sell process, sell results the results are still there with the horses. Like they really are because you tap into some of the deepest stuff inside you when you're with them, they're energetic beings. And at the same time, the whole process is really magical and it's something people want, right? Cause there's a mystery to it. So that for me has been a lot more enjoyable to market the experience and the emotion mm. because you get, you get to go really deep there. Um, and you kind of bring the two together. And I, I've, you know, we've been talking beforehand. I've been going through a little bit of a transformation myself the last few months. Um, as I mentioned, my mom passed away just before the world shut down. So 
and then everything I had planned for this summer with my business has been canceled because I can't have people here. And, and even the, the work that I do with the horses, you can't actually stay six feet apart safely. Mm-hmm. Like you, riding lessons, you can, yeah. you can, you can, you know, t- tack the horse up, somebody can get on it and then you can walk away and keep it, but because like keep your distance, but because of what I do, I have to be near them for safety because the horses are completely at Liberty. So it was really, uh, that was a bit of a, a blow <laughs> to say the least, to right? Say the least. You know, Can okay. We- so we're on pause this summer. So when I think about the marketing piece, I think about, okay, well, um, let's talk about what people really want. And, and people are going through that right now. Like, what do you really want out of life? And my marketing was getting a little bit more towards that. Like we were really using the word alchemy because I really believe in the, in the transformation of, of being out in nature, being with these horses. So what do we want to transform? And um, like, there's a result you want. And, and when I work with people too, if they tell me they want to make six figures, I always ask them why. Yeah. Because just going after a number for a number is scarcity thinking. Well, and it's, you know, it's inter- long before I, I was ever introduced to the idea of scarcity thinking. Mm-hmm. I, um, one thing I know for me is that, and this is where the, it's like you start to connect the dots, the more yeah. you get to know yourself is that even when I was like that rookie salesperson who, um, who became rookie of the year in North America in, I, I became that in my first year of being a, a salesperson and, and I was selling like deals in worth, you know, for a contract period in the millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So that was something to get my head around as far as being able to communicate the value of this thing that it just so happened that the clients, most of them resented because it was the technology in the car dealerships Mm -hmm. because, you know, dealers want to sell cars and be with people. They're generally, you know, unless it's the corporate model, um, they're generally very gregarious, um, you know, extroverted people. And the last thing they want to spend time thinking about is their computer system, their mainframe and software and this and that. Yeah. And, uh, and not for one heartbeat was my motivation for that year and that achievement, anything to do with the money. My motivation was um, president's club trip this year is in Ireland. Yeah. I didn't even understand my compensation model. It was so convoluted. All I knew was I was going to Ireland yeah. and nothing was going to keep me from going there. And, yeah. and that was my, my compass. Yeah. Everything else that happened um, incidental to that, like trophies. And I even, I use my rookie of the North year. It's a beautiful um, doorstop here mm-hmm. in my office. <laughs> it is the nicest doorstop yeah. ever. I will say I should yeah. show it to you. It's gorgeous, but it, it functions very well in that role. And, um, and so when you are looking to coach and guide somebody who isn't money motivated, if you set, it's like a, uh, it's a, it's like a false premise because that's not going to be enough to move them internally to take the action that they need to take. It's not transformative because it's, it's not meaningless. No. And, and, and especially if people say it's not just the money, their goal is to pay off debt. I'm like, that's not good enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, like yeah, you have to, else. we want to pay off 
debt, obviously, but that's not going to motivate you because you've you've already created it. Like, you know, so so we need to focus on the income, but what what is your big why? And I know like for me with, um, I took my business seriously when I wanted to buy a horse property and, you know, for years I'd kind of talked about it, but I hadn't even looked at prices or called the realtor. Right. And I remember I was in North Carolina. I was at an event that my mentor had on and he wanted everybody to know like, well, what's, what number would be your quantum leap a year from now, dollar wise. Right. And I could not come up with a number. I'm like, I don't know. Like at the time the house we owned was paid for, um, the ranch isn't <laughs> it's a bit of a bigger investment. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, I was living pretty comfortably, like there was not a lot of risk. I mean, yes, I was, I was investing in a six figure mentor. So there was that amount of risk. Right. Um, but it, it and my business was covering it, but like I was comfortable, do you know what I mean? Like I was comfortable. Like it, yeah. there was, so if I was going to double or triple my income, what for? I was covering the bills. I was living comfortably. We had a boat. We traveled. Like, what for, right? So, so, and I couldn't come up with a number. I'm like, I don't know what that number should be. And he goes, well, what do you really want? And I said, well, I, I want a horse property. He goes, well, what will that cost you? And I said, well, it will cost this. And he's like, okay, that's your quantum leap. And I, I literally said to him in front of the room, I'm like, all right, dude, gotcha. One year and two days till the date paperwork was signed on the sale of my other property and purchase of this one. <laughs> oh, wow. So, but it was having that real tangible, tangible thing behind it. Right. And so, you know, I, I look now and I'm like, okay, well, what do my income goals need to be? So they have to include being able to, to take care of the horses. Right. So there, there is a, there's a motivation behind that, that would affect my pricing that maybe wouldn't have somewhere else. Right. So um, when you have that, and then for me too, like the, the motivation is even stronger because I want to bring awareness to um, the equine industry and treating horses as sentient beings and helping us raise the consciousness of the planet through horses and helping us. Um, like I'm, I'm a real firm believer in positive reinforcement um, with horses, which is, believe it or not, it's that's actually a very controversial way of training, which is really. Yeah. What do you mean? Because you use food to train them. So you uh-huh. reward them. Um, versus well, like uh, with, within a training model, like there's four things. There's positive punishment, negative punishment, positive reinforcement, and negative reinforcement. Yes. So positive punishment and negative reinforcement are two really big things in the horse industry, right? Like the horse misbehaves, you whack them. That's positive punishment because you're adding something, right? Um it's not oh, that it's, as opposed to positive as in good feeling. Like it's, it's, it's yeah. an addition, right? Okay. And negative reinforcement is you take, you take an aversive away when they give you what you want. And the negative punishment is like, if they're being an, an idiot, you take their treats away. Right? So you take something good away versus take something bad away. Positive reinforcement is the horse does what you want. You give them a cookie or a praise or a scratch or something. Right. So basically I need to backtrack on this. This is sure. just me. Yeah. So uh, the first three things that you said there, I won't get the the combinations of positive, yeah. negative, and yeah. reinforcement, but it sounded to me like the first three all involve some form of pain or deprivation. Or discomfort. Or discomfort. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, discomfort is painful. Yeah. So like, like they're uncomfortable. It's, it's pressure. So, so for me, and, and it's really funny because, you know, yet 
rewarding them is considered controversial. And why is that? Just old school thinking, right? It's just Before the way I it's always been judgment done. Judgment on the on the thing. It's so. the way it's always been done. Um, now, I I do I use a combination of negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement because sometimes because my horse was trained with negative reinforcement, so it's just. Um, he does it right. You take the pressure off. Right. And that, and then, and sometimes the pressure is just like, you're waving your finger. <laughs> it's not necessarily bad, but it's just something that they don't want you waving, waving your finger or, or you raise your voice and they stop. Right. Um, sometimes there's a place for positive punishment. Like if someone's about to die and you need the horse to get out of the way and you need to put a stick in front, like you're going to keep everybody safe. Right. But um, so for me getting this message out there that there's a better way that you can have a relationship-based training, a positive-based training, that gets me out of bed in the morning more than a million dollars ever would. But to be able to do that, I have to run a business that has a high overhead. So therefore, I have to have a different income goal, right? I know I've kind of went off on a tangent there a little bit. Bring it back to why the income goal is there. No, but it works because it, it explains that it, it explains the around it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it totally, it, it, on one hand, it validates the income goal. Yeah. And I know we started off talking about marketing, but now we're just like into the crux of the thing, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I had something really good, Nafisa. Mm, I know what it was. So you're describing the horses and you're saying, you know, the negative the removal of the negative, I'm wagging my finger at Nafisa right now for just for the audio only format. So that negative, so I haven't experienced an affinity for horses to this point in my life. I won't even get into anything about that. There's nothing dramatic. I just haven't. They scare me. They're bigger than me. They've got a mind of their own. Um, But when I think... Ah, I got to get you in an arena with one of them then. Yeah. (laughs) All your stuff. Nafisa just threw down. (laughs) And you know, I'm supposed to come and see you in Maple Ridge. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we'll make that happen. But what you made me think of is Mm -hmm. the animal that I have the most experience with. She's no longer with us right now, but um, my dog Brandy and my dog Brandy was, um, um, she was a border collie cross. Mm-hmm. highly, highly intelligent, highly, highly sensitive. And if I so much as, cause she was tuned to me, if yeah. I so much as threw her a sideways glance, mm-hmm. let alone wagged a finger or like we knew how to communicate yeah. with each other without words. Mm-hmm. Um, I could pretty much, well, who am I kidding? She was alpha as well. So yeah. we were always, you know, parrying yeah. for that control and influence, mm-hmm. but that would be devastating to that little dog. Yeah. I imagine from the sensibilities that you've described with your horses offline, and I want to get into them right now, that the horses are at least as sensitive as my Brandy was. And they can we really get are. into that? Because it's they really that why you you work with them and the and the what they bring in. Totally. I mean, I've I've gone through personal transformation with my horse because I used to be terrified of my own horse. Um, if you go look on my my Believe and See Ranch Instagram page, I have a picture of him throwing a fit at the gate the other day, and it is so funny. Um, he's he's stomping his feet like, and it's just it's hilarious, right? And I mean, that would have terrified me. I, mean, I was sitting there like, like he. 
I have a different perspective right now that that would have scared me. And, but I look at this as my horses, we're having a conversation here and he's mad at me. And if I get close to him and you can't see that on the camera because I can't, I mean, I had to put it away for my own safety. Um, but I was able to walk out in that ring with him there and he backed up very respectfully. So he doesn't, you know, he knows the boundary and that's a really important thing, but I like that he feels safe enough that he can let me know that he's really angry because he didn't find, basically he didn't find all the cookies that I hid for him out there and he wanted back for lunch. I mean, this is, this is, this is really dramatic. <laughs> so yeah, Hi, it was funny. drama folks here on free your inner guru today. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he, <laughs> but the fact that he could do that is to me really important and when I first got him, I mean, I'm a bit of an accidental horseman. I, I was working with total traditional horsemanship. So there was a lot of positive punishment. I was told, always put a chain on his nose. Don't go in his stall without a stick so that he knows if he misbehaves, he's going to get a whack. And these were things that I, I, I didn't know anything about horsemanship at the time. And he's a thousand pounds and I was scared. And so I listened to them. But I remember thinking like, I, because he used to be really bad with his feet. I mean, picking up his feet, you could get kicked, right? So so there was a little bit of, is it a him or I kind of thing? And, but I remember thinking, I don't like this. What if, he, what if he really likes his forehead scratch? What if he gives me his foot and then I scratch his forehead instead? But I knew nothing about training. It was just instinctive to me. Like he likes that. So I started to do that. I mean, now it's like 12 years later, I can't go from one foot to the other without scratching his forehead or he gets really upset, but he, I don't need a stick and I can actually clean his feet out without him even being tied up. Right. But I didn't know that at the time. And so I, that's how I first learned. And I had a lot of fear. Um, and then I started to learn um, natural horsemanship, which is a little bit more about um, the whole part about negative reinforcement and, and relationship. And it was a pathway to me into positive reinforcement like and and in the natural horsemanship world they do do a lot of the negative reinforcement so to kind of give you like maybe um like a idea of what it would look like right so an instance where I used positive punishment this year because I had to for a safety measure I had moved my horse from one stall to another because we'd had a, a snowstorm and there was too much ice in his there was a lot of there was still snow and ice in the one he was in but it was safer but he had a complete meltdown and he, he, you couldn't, he couldn't get his thoughts together. I couldn't go in the paddock with him. He was running back and forth. He was going to slip and break a leg and I couldn't oh. get his attention. So I took my carrot stick and I, I was in the other paddock and I leaned over the back and I mean, I just whacked his butt to snap him out of it. Right. And the other horse leaned over and snapped at him too. Like we both went at him from both sides. And then he was like, I'm good. Right, and he stopped. Yeah, but that was a case where his his life was literally in danger, and he had to get his brain together. But I didn't do it with anger. I didn't do it with you know any. And, and the intention was, you're going to fall, right? Um, negative reinforcement would be if I was in that environment. He was saying there, I need to open the door. If I just wove move the stick like this, not touching him, but just made a little pressure with the stick. The minute he moves back, I stop making them the pressure with a stick. So he learns he's done the right thing. Positive reinforcement would be like, can you move? He moves, he gets a cookie. Right. So, so there's three different things and, and each one will have its, its appropriate place. So negative reinforcement is not necessarily a bad thing, but you're still creating a bit of an aversive. Like if you think about a, you see a horse riding, they have a bit in their mouth, right? So when somebody pulls the reins for them to stop, 
that's negative reinforcement because the moment they stop, you loosen the ring, right? So right. Th- there's things that we do all the time. So I learned how to use negative reinforcement and build relationship with my horse. And then I got more into studying deeper about the positive reinforcement. It's been a journey and to see all the different uh, transformation. And so I look at my horse and when I got him, he was too much horse for me, but he was labeled a bad horse, a jerk, this, that, whatever. And he is so trustworthy right now because I've taken that time to, to build that relationship. So when he feels confident throwing a fit, the person that I got him from, she would have beat the snot out of him for doing that at the gate. I just was mm. like, dude, you're not coming in because you're in no shape for me to be around you right now. <laughs> so when you get into shape, I will come and help you. And he knows that, right? So I've had clients come here and pick his feet because I can trust him because we've built that up over time. And because I've seen that transformation happen with a horse that really was difficult, like he really was, I now know the po- the power of that. And I would love to be a voice into, well, what if they never had to go through being beaten or hit? Like, because he was 14 when I got him and he, you know, he'd, he'd been through a lot. So what, what, what would it be like? And I've seen it and I know it works. And I, the, the depth of relationship and the bond the horse will make with you because now it's fun to be with you. Um, it's really cool. And so for me having that message, so not only do they help people and, and work with people, I love to show the behind the scenes of like, okay, well, these are some of the things that we do to help them. And so that's my why, like to just get out there and show that and give them that opportunity. In your, um, in your, the work you do with people and the horses, mm-hmm. um, when you, uh, you had me at alchemy, by the way, um, <laughs> tell me about the power of the horse in personal transformation. Okay. So horses are prey animals. So there's two aspects to this. We can look at the, the, the woo side and, and, and the scientific side because they're oh, both yes, there. Yes, please, to the woo side. So, so. So, so we'll talk about both, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, they are, so we'll start with the science of it. They're prey animals. Um, their life depends on knowing, ex- knowing whether that bear or tiger that walks by is hungry or full. Right. And so they pick up on their energy. They need to know whether they need to get the heck out of there. Right. And emotional incongruency is something that they, they don't feel comfortable with at all because that's a threat to them because something's not right. You are not what you are on the inside is not what you are on the outside. You might eat me. Like that's literally how they're wired. So that's like talking about a human being and talking about our fight or flight response for uh, actually, for example, yeah. it's almost literally the same thing. It's how they they sense that threat to their yeah. well-being. Yeah. So if somebody comes up to them, especially somebody that they don't know, and that person, you know, they say people say, Oh, don't act afraid, they'll sniff that out. Like, you no, know, they would rather know that you're afraid, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're scared and you're acting brave, they're they're gonna be scared of you, they're gonna walk away. If you're completely in your head, they're not going to be comfortable. They need you to be in your body to feel safe, that you're, you, for you to be embodied and grounded, for them to be safe. And so I'm still on the scientific side of things. Right? So when you think about the fact that your body really is a representation of your subconscious mind, how you bring yourself forward is what's going on inside you. Um, a really simple exercise is if, if you were 
like setting a vision or a goal or even, and I've done this with people, we've talked about their pricing strategy and I get them to lead the horse while talking about their pricing strategy. You know how many times a horse will not follow that person? Mm. Because they're, 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 from a horsemanship perspective, if you're not confident walking that horse, they're not going to follow you. So if you're talking about your pricing strategy and you're focused on that and you kind of shrink or cringe or so they they don't know what you're talking about. All they know is you're not safe because you're not comfortable. Right. So that's one aspect of it. Um, On the more energetic woo side of things, they are energetic beings. Um, There was a study done by the HeartMath Institute that shows how horses and humans can co-regulate their heartbeats and how the horse affects the human's heart rate variability if when you get into like a heart lock with them. And so being around them and being around their energy, and you don't have to be right up close to them, I mean, because their their heart field is way bigger than ours. You can still connect into that and they can connect into you. Um, and they they read your energy. And so how they react to different things is really telling. And so I can tell if a client's just tell me what they think I want to hear based on the horse's reaction to them. And if we do like belief change or whole brain exercises where, you know, we're doing crossovers and stuff like that, we're with their hand, it's a, it's a modality that I work in. I can tell when the person's come into an internal alignment because the way they present the horse will start to relax and lick and chew. Mm. So it's, it's pretty wild because they help you see what's going on. And I had a client here one day and I, it was really funny. Um, and she's somebody I knew really well. And, and one of the things she had trouble with was like sales. Right. And I had her with my pony is brutal. Like he, he, he doesn't care. He's blunt. He will just leave, run away from you. Like he's, he's just brutal. So he's my, I call him my master energy alchemist. So I said, go make a connection with Jake. And I was watching her and I said, how do you think you're doing? And she says, oh, I think we're connected. I'm like, no, that pony's like, the only reason he's not running away is because there's a fence there, right? So we did coaching, a meditation, and then she sat down and I said, I just want you to do a meditation and visualize like what you kind of see where you're going. And I could see her body start to relax. And in that moment, the pony came over, licked her from head to toe. Oh, gosh. Which was amazing, right? Um, (laughs) Polar opposite. Total. And, you know, for him to do that, he had to feel very safe with how she was showing up. Otherwise, he doesn't care. He just leaves. He he had somebody reduced to tears here one day because she could not connect with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's a lot that that can come up. And also, too, like you're especially like I said, I'd love to throw you in the ring, because if you if you don't have that relationship with horses it can really bring a lot up. Um I had a client here one time and I took her in with um, our, we have a huge warm blood here. He's 17 hands. He's huge. He's a little bit handicapped. So he, he looks like he's about to spook or bolt, but he, he's just trying to stand still. Um, And he's, he's here because he's not a show horse and, but he's a, a lovable creature. So he has a home here. Right. So I brought her into the ring with him and it was really funny. She wanted to work with him. She wanted to be with this horse and we got in there and I had him on a, a lead rope. Um, and as soon as he kind of waddled, it was so funny. She took me, threw me in front of him. <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, let's, let's 
take Human you out. Shield right? style. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I let him go. And so, you know, in coaching, you know, you, at that moment I stepped out of facilitator, kind of did the pull the curtain down thing. And I said, I just, I just want you to know that you're safe. I would never put you in a situation that you didn't feel safe, but we're, we won't go back in there. But just so that, you know, there was no danger. He, mm. that, that's just how he stands. Right. And she said something to me and I thought we'd stepped out of coaching mode. And this is what was fascinating. She said, I trust you that you would never put me in danger, but I didn't think you were reading that horse correctly. And I said, so you didn't trust my judgments. She's like, no, where else is that coming up? Yeah. And it was not part of our planned, uh, curriculum for the day but what came up and it was something that I had observed in her that has been holding her back for so long Mm. and it just started this we were going in to work on okay going after that big client or whatever right because he's this big fancy beautiful horse and he's huge but what came up in that 40 seconds was such a visceral fear that she wasn't she wouldn't have been ready for me to go there and ask those questions. Mm. Like it would have been an area that, you know, how people can be, I'm not ready to have that. Yes. Not ready to go there. But she went there because the, the visceral fear of that, of what happened in that moment brought up. It brings up the pattern, the pattern of of her not trusting other people's judgment or their intentions. That's the beauty of, and the power of a a real um, coaching conversation. Yeah. The one where it's about inquiry versus outright advising. And I know for me, it's always been kind of um, some, some people say, Laura, you're, you're being, you know, into semantics, but I, I think words are really important. And, Mm -hmm. and for me, coaching means powerful inquisition and inquiry and, and consulting means uh, powerful advising two entirely different modalities and it can be mentoring too but it's still not coaching no that's right it's the curiosity that's the coaching yeah and there's so much under um you okay to talk a little bit just about coaching in general yeah Um, yeah absolutely yeah so so like under the what okay so you've shared what one of the things that you're very passionate about is Mm -hmm. it's about transforming how horses are treated yeah i'm my parallel um passion is transforming how people think about self-help and coaching. Mm-hmm. So this is now in both of our wheelhouses as yeah. far as, you know, transformation yeah. goes. So um, there's this huge umbrella called coach. Yeah. And, uh, and my, my set, there's a whole bunch of things going on under that umbrella from consulting, advising, um, managing, um, down to at the other end of the spectrum, what I would consider, and I, I take it from your your reactions there, that uh, that like the inquiry and the helping to raise the self awareness mm-hmm. is the meat and core of of what coaching is intended to be. Yes, would you agree? Absolutely. So where do we? I, I, the last few years, as I've been here in in Toronto. Um, many people are familiar with, but if there's new listeners, I'm, I'm from Toronto, but I lived in BC for nine years and then met Nafisa back here in Toronto. So we have this affinity for, for 
for the like the the west as well as everything else but all those years i have found that there is when i came back here and i was starting from scratch with not much of a network i i left my automotive work there i wasn't interested in developing it to be online or anything when we came back in 2014 and and Toronto is like has an well everywhere has an abundance of coaches yeah. and I got tired of hearing you know just another coach or dime a dozen or everyone's a coach now yeah and I don't really think everyone's a coach now I think there's lots of coaches but I don't think all of what goes on is coaching I don't think so. Are we splitting I mean, hairs? Like, am I like, you know, you know, somebody like I, I talked to you about it earlier. I mean, if somebody's helping me set up my Instagram page, they're, they're, it's like a marketing consultant. They're not coaching me, you know? And, and I, I know sometimes the word consultant can have a couple of different meanings because a consultant can either produce, do a work product or they can provide advice. Right. So people don't, maybe they don't want to do the work product. They want to teach you, but that's not coaching. And, um, do you think most people understand that that's what coaching is? Or do you think it's, it's most people just understand that this is someone who's going to, in some capacity, help me or guide me? I think it's the latter. And even clients that I've had, you know, I mean, I've, I've had quite a few. Some really want coaching and some are looking for um, advice. They, they don't want to go deep. And so one of the things that I've really been thinking about is, as a lot of this has been happening is, well, who do I want to work with? You know, because I want to work with the people that want to go deep. Because I mean, I, I, oh, I hear that. I know people who can do a funnel for you and it's not me. <laughs> and um, I, I can help you look at your numbers really quickly and give you some pretty quick business advice. You know, I've, I've had my share, but it's not interesting to me because uh, selling, there's a ton of effective scripts out there. So I can give you one. Sure. But I want to know why you won't have the conversation. I want to know what you're afraid of. I want to know why you don't believe in it. I want to know who in your world won't approve of you creating what you want that you're letting affect you. So that that's more interesting to me. And how do you get out of your own way? That's more fun. And that's where the investment in the time, energy, and yep. money uh, far outstrips the length of the relationship itself. Yep. To me, the the value of the coaching uh, relationship should extend well beyond. Yeah. The well, and I I, I actually had a, s- a sales call with someone the other day. He ended up not going forward, and I actually, if he if he was going to go forward, I was actually going to say no, um, because it, it was really interesting. Um, he wanted to work with me for four months because I do have a four month container and he wanted to learn how to sell. And um, he wanted to be absolutely sure that he would get results mm-hmm. in those four months. And I said to him, well, here's the thing. You don't actually have a, a strong marketing thing behind you right now to have the right, the qualified leads. Like you're just, you're just going on Instagram and messaging people. Those aren't necessarily qualified leads you haven't done the marketing the nurturing and all of that I can help you with some of that but yeah. I have people I can refer you to the business of that it's two yeah. different things however what you learn with me will have results if you do it but it may not happen in four months 
It may happen six months later or a year later. It's just this transforming piece that has to happen. And um, but he wanted to be absolutely guaranteed that he was going to have. Yeah, I've run into that too. And I absolutely, absolutely understand why. Because, um, and, and I think there's so, the, the reasons are as unique as the individual, but what I don't know that anyone would, well, there are some people that would just hire a coach just because of like having a coach and they want to do the introspection and they, and yeah. they want that perspective. Yeah. And it's valuable, but they're not, they're less concerned about it turning into any kind of tangible result. And that's a, uh, that's a bit of, <laughs> I'm using the word unicorn a lot lately, but I'm using yeah. it. Um, and it's great and it's fun, but if there's a, it's even better when there's a practical application to it, because how are we going to, you know, manifest a, a better world or a different world if we're yeah. not taking what we're doing on the inside and, and bringing it outwards with some form of value. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but sometimes it just takes time yeah. for it to happen. But that transformation can be happening right away. And the manifestation of it can happen quickly or, or not. It just really depends on a lot of things, right? So I do I also, think that. Oh, I do also think that it, it also depends on whether or not that person is really ready at that time in their life for the change or to take you know, take the associated action, but yeah. also I, I'm curious to know if you've run into this as well, but there's um, perhaps some um, earned distrust in the market because the, the market is kind of diluted. I think so. I mean, you know, I'd be really careful who I hired. I am careful who I hired. We're both making faces now. Yeah. Yeah. The market is diluted and Maybe dilute it's not the right word. Um, you find one then. <laughs> sullied or dirtied. Dirtied. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because, because I mean, you know, coaching isn't about giving advice, right? It's not necessarily mentoring. And at the same time, though, without that life experience or depth of understanding, how can you actually know the right question to ask? the curiosity because sometimes what's not being said by the client is way more important than what is being said and taking an opportunity to hear what's in the silence and then ask a really difficult question and then shutting up that takes maturity and that takes life experience and it takes training and it takes, um, I mean, and I, I, I'm pretty, passionate about, you know, training and self-development. Cause I know like if people look at a coach from a p- perspective of this person does have power, like it's just, it's just natural. You want to know that, that they know what they're doing because they can do harm. Even if they're not a trained coach, they can do harm with the wrong question or the wrong thing or, and mess somebody up. So I think it's, yeah. And, and there's a bit of a, pyramidy thing that can happen too right so I'm not sure I heard you correctly there pyramidy like a pyramid like a a coach to teach a coach to teach a coach to teach a coach but it's not really getting to helping a person create what they want for themselves and holding that space for them right um in my corporate days like we've like some of the things that I had to deal with in corporate would have people under the table curled up in the fetal position. And we, we had deaths on site, right? Like we were, 
Right. Mine. I wasn't at site when that happened, Yeah, but it, it, it affected everybody. Um, two kids broke the rules. They went two of them in a lift and the lift tipped over. It was horrible. Um, but you know, when you've experienced that kind of stuff, when you've seen your, like in the downturn in 2008, because I was on this project, I was somewhat protected. But when I saw people that I'd worked with for years, good people just like that all lose their jobs overnight. And like, and you're seeing all this happen, right? Like it just, it gives you a little bit of depth of gravitas to like understand like the, the human part of it, of coaching. Yeah. And I, so I think sometimes there's, um, I, I do think, I, I firmly believe that in coaching, a good coach has a lot of life experience and that life experience isn't, I was broke three months ago and now I just sold $30,000. That's not life experience. That's not going to cut it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You remind me of uh, when I was consulting. So this would be actually back at that. The the 08, 09 was such a seminal period of time for, well, I guess it also, we were both in our, you know, you would, or early forties at the time. And, uh, and it's like, I was, I, I was like this sheer ball of enthusiasm coming out of teaching, going into sales, you know, motivated by Ireland and then starting my own consulting company. And, uh, and then, and that was fantastic because my experience as teacher and selling and learning the car business um, through best practices really set me up well for the, the consulting. Yeah. And yeah, and I did that for I think 14 years in total exclusively. In the latter part of those years, we, my husband and I, opened up a gym in Vernon, BC. Mm-hmm. We were living in Kelowna, opened it up in Vernon. And from the moment that I had a payroll, um, a commercial property, a landlord, retail customers, you name it, the list, all the vendors. Yeah, it was only then that I really saw some of the um, I understood the true amount, the sheer amount of faith that my clients had in the work I was doing with them, Mm -hmm. because the advice I was giving them would always involve some kind of either brick and mortar HR or technology investment, plus the investment in me. Yeah. to go in and make it work. And having that experience changed my entire um, point of view on what yeah. it was to own and operate a business. Yeah. So that is more than we can, I think most coaches are people who get into helping and serving or highly empathetic people at their core. Yeah. But until I had that experience, I, I, the level of empathy that I could have for them was very, very limited. And yeah. I think empathy is at the core. It's one of the coaching superpowers to really be able to get yes. in there, almost like in their body so you can read what would be happening with them. Yeah. Not unlike the horse. No, and they're great because they can bring out stuff that I might, like, like, like that one person, I we wouldn't have gone there if that hadn't happened, right? Where she didn't trust my ability to, to read him. So it was, um, 
it's just fascinating. And when you can ask those questions and it can come up, what can actually transform for a person? Because you can release a pattern that's been holding you back all the time, right? And um, th- that goes way further than a fancy Instagram page. I mean, and I just like, I will be honest, I get burnt out. Like, I mean, I haven't really posted much on Instagram ever since this lockdown started. I, I had a team member doing it and I just, she would come after me going, we need new photos. We need new photos. I'd be like, I don't want to take another photo shoot. Right. Cause that to me did not feel like what, what the heck does, you know, really fancy pictures of me have to do with like, I know you have to do it, but at the same time, it just felt so like, I, I don't want to, I mean, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do the, the pictures. I have more fun with my believe in C ranch page because those aren't perfect pictures. I just take my iPhone. I get the horses doing their stuff. I have them videoing and it's just, it's life. And to me, that's more, that's kind of where it's at. Well, right. It's interesting to me because if, if we were coaching right now, if you, if I was the coach and you were the, the client, I would be mm-hmm. talking to you about, and I know you're already transforming in that direction anyways. Yeah. Like follow the energy. Yeah. Follow the energy. Yeah. If you, you're, you and I are a lot alike in this regard, I can't stand having to put all those photos up. And again, I get why and I, and I do it, but recently my transition and, and we were sharing before we got on here and I think it's yeah. great for people who listen to, to hear this side of it. Yeah. And I hope they do too. <laughs> um, yeah. is, is like, I've been using all of my creative skills in service of the marketing for coaching. And that makes it joyless for me. That sucks the life out of me to do that. Whereas if I am sitting to write, to self-express, to photograph, to take in the world around me and to podcast, to use my voice and speak with amazing people like yourself, I'm, and coach, I am absolutely in my element. So mm-hmm. before we went on vacation, like I had a conversation with a very good friend of mine, uh, Lori Rubenstein. She's a wonderful coach in uh, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her from Kauai, I'm like, I think I need to burn it down. And she was like, oh, no, like, you know, like, and I was yeah. like, you know, and, and guess what? What happened in the wake of COVID, it got a lot of that got taken care of for me mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, fantastic. Because nothing makes me happier. You know how Ireland was my thing? Yeah. Nothing makes me happier than being on the ground using my camp. Like that's where the stuff of life is for me. So, yeah. So, yeah. So that's why the shift in the model towards the community, um, the, the community model versus this yeah. one-to-one, always looking at Zoom, irony noted, given pandemic, you know, into something that allows me to kind of bring all parts of myself forward. Well, and I think people are going to be sick of Zoom. So, because it's all we have right now, right? Right? So, it, it's, and, and I, you know, I know, I mean, I can't have people here right now, so it is a little bit heartbreaking, but I do know that that's kind of where I'm being pulled to go. So, it's it's twofold, right? One is, is the work with people, the, the private coaching, the healing works. There's, there's going to be a lot of healing that has to happen, and this herd is, is great for that, but also, on th- there's no monetization of it at all the whole piece about you know the, the treatment of horses because I'm not a horse trainer right, right. and I, that's what something I'd like to learn in my spare time but it's not really I, I can't see myself going from barn to barn to barn doing this it's not I can't 
I don't want to get into that drama or politics, but if I can have a platform of, of talking about it and having people, you know, go, Hey, that was kind of neat. Like I had somebody the other day who would have been a traditional um, horse person. She saw that I had done a treasure hunt and she's like, that was the coolest idea I've ever seen. Right. So when people start to just kind of come around, then I know if I can affect one person, then they can maybe affect someone else. So that's, it's twofold. And that's kind of where I, I want to, where I want to kind of go with, with my business is, is really, it's, it's the transformation of human and horses. Right. So that's, and the two go together and, and, you know, and you get to do it by showing, by showing up and being you versus conforming to some other outside idea of what you should be or look like when you present yourself. You know, it's funny. I, I remember a few years ago, I went to, because I used to go to these events all the time. I'd wear these really high heels that I couldn't walk in and pretty dresses. And and then I, I went to one. It's the mentor I have now, but he keeps the room so, 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 so cold. And so I had all these really cute dresses and high heels and I couldn't wear them. I had to go put on my leggings and boots and wrap in a blanket. Like it, yeah. And I was so comfortable. And I've, <laughs> I don't, wear high heels or dresses anymore. And I mean, I, I've gone to events like events where <laughs> with coaches and I'm wearing a plaid shirt and I don't care. Like I got my plaid cowgirl shirt and I'm not even a cowgirl shirt. It's like a farm girl shirt. I got my it's purple. It's my brand colors, it's my purple plaid shirt with my purple snakeskin cowboy boots and jeans. And I'm comfortable. And you're you and you're memorable yeah. because of it. Yeah. Cause I'm just not going to, like, I, I don't need all that fancy stuff because it's not, I mean, uh, although it's kind of funny, there's a joke, right? Like with horse people, if you're wearing your horse clothes, you usually are the most ex- expensively dressed person in the store. You just smell like a street bum. But like, just, <laughs> nobody would know. But, but I, but that's one of the things that I, I let go is like, I, I, I don't dress that way. I don't. And it's not, and, and it's not to say like, you know, I will still. And I, I imagine perhaps we both will, like, you know, you go to a wedding, you go to an event, you go to something fancy. There's, it's, it, you get out to be able, I would love to put on a pair of heels and go and get dressed up and go out right now. But that does any more than when I was a waitress mm-hmm. 35 years ago, that yeah. shouldn't have to be what I need to wear in order to make my tips. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's really I think I'm hoping um, as we we bring this to a close. I'm really hoping that no, I'm intending that this this time of being kept at home and isolated and going inside to really figure out what's important to a person. And I don't mean just me or just you. I'm hoping that everyone is doing it and and that when we get to work again and go out and socialize again that it doesn't all just go to the wayside I think it's too big to do that I think we're it's going to be a long time before we get into a a new normal I don't say that to scare anyone I just say that for my own mental preparedness yeah um I don't want to forget the lessons of this time again no I've had these lessons before I've been called to the creative life before and I've always managed to put something in, you know, to make 
something else be more important or someone else be more important. And now it's like that spiral journey, right? You come back to it yeah, and you come back to it and I'll probably be coming back to it on different levels my entire life because that's the journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I hope people do take advantage of this time because, you know, um, you know, I, ha- I had a lot of freedom when this happened and still there was a lot of introspection that had to happen. But I know when you're in that rat race, it's a lot harder to do that because, you know, you got to get up, you got to get on the train, you got to get here, you got to go there, you got to have your water cooler talk. Now people are working from home and having a lot more time. Um, I just hope that people start to go like, is this really what I want to do? Because the the one thing to, to remember is like with, with crisis is the mother of ingenuity and within every crisis there's, and I'm not minimizing the tragedy that has unfolded like that. There's, there's no doubt it's incredible tragedy. And for a lot of people, it's a huge opportunity to re to re rebirth themselves mm-hmm. um, and realign. I've, yes, I've I've been conscious, and I'm going to be doing a post about this. That I'm tired of hearing the words about in in these uncertain times and this time of crisis, and because that's that feeds it, right? Um, there is some serious crap going on. <laughs> minimizing that but here's the thing that I I really this was my big aha moment through all of this there is no such thing as safety there wasn't three months ago right um everybody goes through stuff everybody has crisis I mean I I I watched my mother die right like I mean we all go through this stuff in our life we have uncertainties we lose jobs we lose clients we lose um we had a big scare in my husband's business where we thought we were going to have a huge problem back in November right Everybody goes through that. And we all have crisis. We all have uncertainty. It just so happens the whole world's having it at once. Yes. So it feels bad. But we all have it at different times. So what if we just rephrase this to a time of opportunity, to um, different times, a pause, creative times? That'll help us get out of it faster. Absolutely. I could, I agree with you. And I think the the shift is in also realizing that we wouldn't be here living and breathing if humans couldn't adapt. And similarly, um, I just released a podcast today about, um, I was in a a no unfiltered mode yesterday Mm -hmm. having, after having to go to the hospital for, um, for my, my eyes. And I, I did a podcast on the whole idea of this of pandemic pivot and how tired I am of hearing the word pivot. Yes. And why? And I do think we need to amplify the the really rich opportunity that is here without negating the suffering. But I do know from my own um, journey mm-hmm. that you know the lows can be really, really low. Yeah, but when we can step through them and do the heavy lifting to um, heal it or transform it or even just face it, let's start with facing it yeah. as opposed to numbing or distracting or just plain old avoiding. Um, the upside many years later, we are able to integrate all of this. I trust in humanity's ability to integrate this, but I trust in it more if people um, 
who are have great big hearts and minds and you know intuitive abilities and sensibilities about the earth that we live on if they step forward yeah we step forward into leadership now yeah and I think that's and we have to amplify each other we do because it can be so easy to be pulled into this negative spiral of of news and comments and you know uh, like Facebook like social media comments are the worst place for anybody to put their mind right so (laughs) like read the news take what you need to, to be informed and um, get on with it and also, but look deeper too, right? Because, you know, headlines are so sensational and there's always a nugget of truth in them. And then when you dig deeper, you're like, okay, this isn't really what, what this article is about, or this isn't as bad as it sounds. It could be, it's a could be, <laughs> but a nuclear bomb could be dropped on us tomorrow too. That could happen, <laughs> right? Like it's, yeah. it could, I could get hit by a car, but there's a lot of, truth to it. Just before, I know we were at time, but just one example that I remember was reading an article about um, food crisis. And I, and we're we're at food insecure. It was something like that. And I I clicked on the link and I read the article and it was an incredibly cool article that was talking about, and I think it was in the national post. So the Vancouver sun had posted this on their Facebook page and they put the sensational title. It was a really cool article about how with what's been happening, local farmers and local local like produce and meat farmers or whatever are seeing a surge in business and people getting back to organic food and whatever. And what they're worried about is that when things go back to normal, they won't repeat the business that they've done. Like why? So what? Then why isn't that article saying? Why is this article saying we're facing food scarcity instead of saying? we've changed how we buy. How do we help these farmers continue to thrive? Like, so there was a little bit of truth, right? A little bit of truth because the, the plants were shut down and farmers were plowing stuff over a little bit of truth, but the actual meat of that article was helping these small farmers, but the headline and most people don't click through. Right. So right. I think we need to be really cautious about what we take in and, and just look at it as a big pause. One quick thing before we go, um, this may end up being one of the longest episodes ever. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But it's okay. No, it's not. It's not, don't, don't apologize. It's wonderful. So one of the reasons why I sent you a message on Facebook to book this, and this will be a great note to, to wrap on. Um, you're in British Columbia. Yes. Dr. Bonnie Hen- Henry. Mm-hmm. She has been She's a amazing. shining bright light, an example of incredible leadership. And all I get to see is what I read on the globe or see on television. Tell me what it's like to, um, to be led by her on a daily basis in British Columbia. I watch the Bonnie Henry show every day, <laughs> right? Cause she comes on at noon or three o'clock. Um, this might get Bill choked up. She's very calm. She's very reassuring. She's very mild, but she's very decisive. And because of her leadership, we're in a good place in this province. And we're going to come out of this. Um, our economy will probably recover sooner. You feel safe. Um, she's very dedicated. She took action early. She says, you know, well, some of it was luck, but no. She didn't. She say, "Do not travel on March break." Mm-hmm. Didn't. So that's not luck. That's yeah. saying something that people do not want to hear before the two week March break in British Columbia, not one week, like here in Ontario. Yeah. Two weeks. And they, 
she had been paying attention since January and putting stuff in place. Like she's been preparing. So, and, and the fact is too, I mean, she never reads, um, she never reads it like a bunch of statistics and numbers. She gets, she gets very emotional about the deaths and the cases and relatively, I mean, it's done a phenomenal job. So we're in good hands here. And, you know, I just feel like, man, you know, everybody needs a Dr. Henry. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is, I mean, she did all this and British Columbia has one of the loosest shutdowns in the sense that this stuff is shut down. She's very clear which businesses had to stop, but they, they worked with WorkSafe. They worked with uh, Fraser Health Authority. They worked with all these different health agencies to keep things like construction, manufacturing, um, a lot of businesses still operating and running. A lot of retail stores are doing curbside pickup. Where, and I know a lot of provinces don't have that. So she kept, like they say, you know, well, we're not doing the big reopen in the sense that we didn't close that much. So we're already there and we're going to gradually go back. So she's done a phenomenal job. From the point of view of looking, distilling that down into some of the qualities of leadership, it's that, you know, it's that, that preparation yeah. meets empathy, yeah. meets um, being willing to say what could be very unpopular. So courage, I will yeah. I'll label that courage. Yeah. Um, and I think she has um, demonstrated the power of, of um, being just like allowing yourself to be fully human, yeah. right? Obviously she's got a job to do and yet she's showing up very, very human and therefore relatable and people are listening. You know, I know I'm very grateful. Our, our, our son is in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. He's still working and um, you know, he's uh, it's, he wouldn't know what to compare it to here. And, and, even despite uh, where Toronto's at, we've been in, I, I, it, it almost pains me to say this, but we've been in pretty good hands too. Somehow we got yeah. the right premier for this. Period it's it's really wild. <laughs> That's a whole <laughs> other thing. He, he's, he, he has not lived up to expectations. He's done really well. <laughs> um, let's, yeah. let's leave that right where it is. I was saying, and I think I'm not the only one saying, I can't wait until I can start really disliking him again but you know but again very measured and I'm not blind to the other issues um around him you, in normal you know times. What our, our but, premier said yesterday which I think would apply to yours as well and it was so poignant because I I wouldn't have voted necessarily for this government that we have or any of them but I I am so impressed with how Canada overall has handled this oh. And what our premier said yesterday was so profound. He said, there will come a time when politics comes back to British Columbia. Now is not the time. I love it. He, he was talking about the economic recovery and working with the leader of the opposition. And he said, I want you to consider your, your MLA's offices as, no, as a nonpartisan safe space if you need help. This is, they're not here to represent their party. They're here to represent you. And when he said that, I, I like that he acknowledged, yeah, we can be really partisan in any other amount of time, but now is not the time. Politics, we have time for that later. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening there too, right? Like, let's just. Yes. And, and of course we have the grand contrast to the South. 
So it yeah. allows us to hold, uh, you know, the, as Canadians, um, it allows us to hold up a mirror that we're not used to looking at. It allows yeah. us to see our political leaders through a lens we're not accustomed to be looking through because yeah. partisanship, you all out there beyond our borders think that we're a mild bunch. That's not the truth at all. Ooh, oh my God. is alive and well in this country. I've lived at both ends. So have you. Yeah. Um, uh, there is, again, we'll just leave that for another time, but you'd be surprised. And, and to be able to watch all three levels of government cooperating and, and given that, you know, crap, I call my, I build myself a leadership coach and, and all, yeah. all, everything we do is around leading right now and, yeah. and being led. So, you know, I just want to take a moment to, to yeah. acknowledge with great gratitude um, the work that is being done and also to hold space for people who are struggling in that regard and know that all, all things are temporary and yeah. it, there, there will be a new normal, but um, the lessons of this time could be everlasting and, and yeah. I hope that they are because it's showing us a lot about what it really could mean to be a human being on this planet. Yeah. And we've seen it from people you wouldn't expect to see it, which is amazing. Uh-huh. So on that note, Nafisa, yes. oh my gosh, what a Thank great opportunity. It was a really long one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope everyone out there is enjoying this conversation as much as possible. I will put links to Nafisa's uh, website, her social media for the ranch and for her in the show notes. It's just been such a joy. I can't wait to, Thank you. to get this out there. And yeah, awesome. Thank <laughs> you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, Have take care. Bye. Hi, it's Laura. I'm back as promised to read Nafisa's post from June the 5th to be able to share her thoughts on racism, anti-racism. I don't think I've ever been more aware of my privilege as I bring voice to her words right now. And uh, and so I'm very honored to have her permission to do so. I've been quiet the last few days. Please don't mistake it for apathy. I haven't known what to say, not so much for fear of saying the wrong thing, but more so as the events of 2020, including my mother's death, have been relentless. The words have just not been there to truly communicate the emotion and feelings. So here's a bit of the context to the shit show that's been my subconscious mind since March. I grew up in a doomsday cult that I faded out of 13 years ago without actually dealing with it. I just went on living my life. I only recently woke up to the fact that it is a cult in the last 12 months. So there is more to say about this, but today is not that day. Why it's relevant is that a lot of it still is raw and real, and watching the news daily does trigger a lot of end-of-the-world stuff that I know is not true, but is deeply embedded into my subconscious. So finding the words while dealing with my own shit has been a challenge. As a biracial person of color with a Muslim-sounding name, I've certainly experienced my own share of racism, cultural bias, prejudice, distrust, and fear. From the workplace, including the time I was once called the token brown woman, when I thought my place was earned, turns out it was just checking a box on social responsibility. To unpleasant border interrogations, 
which are now why I try to appear as white and as westernized as possible when crossing the border. I am reminded quite often that my skin is a different color and that the person on the other side is viewing me in some way as less than. And many times I've wondered how different my life would have been with a Western name. Yet, as inconvenient, perhaps limiting, insulting, or challenging the racism I've encountered, I have never feared for my safety or life. I realize I'm one of the privileged. I am sickened by the horrific murder of George Floyd and so many before him. I fear for my friends and their children who are people of color. It's heartbreaking and terrifying that black children can literally put their life in danger if they get cold and put their hood up. I fear for my friends who work in law enforcement in both Canada and the U.S. and are amazing people that they get painted with a broad brush because of the actions of a few and that they get hurt or looked upon with contempt. I truly hope that the collective grief and rage is a turning point, not just for the symptoms, but for all of us to examine the underlying cause that we contribute to, whether we know it or not. And that's looking at our fellow man as wrong or the enemy because they are different, because they don't understand how we are different. The amount of judging, stone-throwing, ridicule, that I've seen online in the past few months, while not racism, are habits, beliefs, and behaviors that are what allow racism to flourish. It's the underlying belief that others are wrong, or don't deserve opportunity, or should have less, just for being them or living their life their way. And don't even get me going on cancel culture. Politics has spiraled from a healthy debate about ideas and policy to dehumanizing someone with a different point of view and considering them the enemy. And while there have always been extremes, it seems any difference of opinion at all these days is considered extreme. Violence and looting are never the answer. Dominating people who are there at their breaking point and acting out isn't the answer either. There's so many parallels to horses here, but I'll save those for another day. What if we stopped being so angry and instead started to ask questions? And if we don't like the answer, to ask more questions and really seek to understand, or conversely, if we don't like the question or ask ourselves why it's being asked? It won't be comfortable, but it can be a breakthrough if we are willing. There can never be the right words to say because we are each individuals experiencing what's going on through our individual lens and life history and the person across from us is experiencing it from theirs. I believe with all my heart that most people are inherently good, even if they think differently or view things differently. We all want the same thing. To be able to live our lives safely, freely, to have purpose, to be comfortable, to have confidence in our future, to be healthy, and to live with meaning, connection, and surrounded by our family and those we love. Even if how we believe we should get there is different, everybody deserves the opportunity to make it happen for themselves. So as we move through this pivotal time, we can all contribute to the solution. I see so many trying to do just that, while also trying to navigate trauma and world events like we have not experienced in our lifetime. 
It's sad to me to see people jump all over them or call them out for not doing it the way they want them to. They are going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. We all mess up when we don't mean to. And we are all going to have different opinions, abilities, perspectives, and resources. And we wish to be understood through it all. So, when we are doing our best and asking for space and compassion for our intentions, let's not judge the other person's lens, but remember the person across from us, or the other end of the screen, the business owner, the friend, the colleague, the human being, is also doing theirs. I know the world isn't really coming to an end, as much as my subconscious wants to go there, and it's up to each of us as individuals to do our part to make it better. Before I sign off, I want to take a moment to express my gratitude that you are here listening to the podcast, no matter how you have found us here at Free Your Inner Guru. And every episode, I endeavor to bring the highest quality conversation that I can co-create. And uh, the need for big, deep, conscious conversations has never been greater. And so I would like to invite you, if having big conversations is something that you are craving right now, um, to come and join us in the Free Your Inner Guru community. And there's two ways to do that. You heard me refer to shifting how I make my living towards a community-based model. And what that means is that instead of spending all my time thinking about where do I find my ideal client, I get to focus on doing something that I love. Not that I don't love coaching, I absolutely do. But as it was very clear there, it's the marketing of coaching that is really sticky for me. And it is what it is. Stick around long enough, you're going to certainly find out why in the coming weeks. But I digress. If you would like to jump on a Zoom that is facilitated by me and share some virtual space with other like-minded business owners and leaders, there's two ways for you to do this. One, for the time being, is free. And you can access where to sign up at on my website, on the page, that's Laura Tucker slash free calls. And it's right, it's right on the homepage and it's easy to find if you just land on the site. Once a month, I'm offering this conversation for free and have been doing so since March the 20th as my response to help people with COVID-19 um, fallout. The real deal though, if I may be honest about this, as I endeavor to be about anything, is uh, happening inside Patreon because that's the way that this podcast gets to continue and I get to continue bringing high quality content is by having patrons and uh, and community members. So how that works is if you come on over to the Patreon page and you will see there is a tier there for a monthly Q&A. And once a month, behind private doors, or as private as virtual doors can be these days, 
um, we get on and I introduce some a topic or a content, and then everyone gets to have a voice in the main room in breakouts. And these are just amazing. It's become my favorite hour of the week, quite frankly. And so I would just like to invite you to check it out. It's very easy, no strings attached. If you don't like it, you can just quit. And uh, if you love it, you'll hang around. And that's what I'm hoping to create is a large community of conscious leaders who want to have an impact in the world, just like the guests that come on the show. So on that note, I want to thank you again for being here for what could have been a double episode and uh, would love to connect with you um, either online on social media or live in the community. I'm Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.